this is Bethany. Welcome to Sunday School Cinema. Before we get started, I just wanted to say a couple of things really fast. The first is that we are watching the film The Counterfeiters today or discussing the movie The Counterfeiters today. We would really recommend in general that you probably watch the movie before you listen to our podcast. We spoil anything within the movie and sometimes we're not super linear about how we talk about it, so it's probably more enjoyable if you've seen it yourself. That's just a warning for you and if you don't want to, that's fine, but just letting you know. And the other thing I wanted to say was that I, I had a moment in this while I was editing where I had sort of an offhanded comment about how I thought it was important for people to tell their own stories and implied that perhaps German or Austrian films about the Holocaust might be better for that. And re-listening to that now, I was like, that was not a very thoughtful comment for me to make. Obviously, the Holocaust impacted millions of people who live in all kinds of different countries now. And so the idea of telling their own stories being restricted to that region it does not make a lot of sense. So I apologize for that somewhat thoughtless comment, but it was sort of in the middle of other conversations, so I left it in there. I just wanted you to know that I did notice that. If at any point you have feedback for us or something you'd like us to consider going forward, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. We would love to hear from you, and we're always looking for how we can learn and grow. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. My name is Bethany. And I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema. This week... We watched uh, The Counterfeiters, which is a movie from 2008, I believe. Uh, I think it was released in the U.S. in 08. Yeah, I think 2007, technically. Got it. And this is a movie that I believe that is based on a true story or some truish set of events uh, about a group of men who were in various concentration camps and who were sort of pulled out of pulled out of those con- or kept in the concentration camps, but pulled into sort of a different detail to try to counterfeit money. So the pound, dollar, et cetera, because apparently one of one of the schemes that the Nazis had was if they could flood the European and um, American markets with um, counterfeit money, that this would help uh, win them the war. Right. They were trying to they were trying to sink the allied economy, essentially. Yeah. Which honestly is like a fairly clever plan mm-hmm. yeah more subtle than some of the other <laughs> nazi plans i think definitely so yeah uh and i did not remember this movie literally at all i may have only watched it the once for group i believe this movie was joel's idea so joel why don't you start out telling us what you of it and how you feel about it and stuff yeah i think i believe this was one that i pushed for because i had I had seen it before. Um, our brother Jared and I used to watch stuff constantly. We watched at least one movie a day for like a five-year period, all kinds of stuff. And I believe this was one that we watched. And I, I really loved it when I first saw it. One of the things that's... The, the main character in the movie is uh, a professional counterfeiter before the war who gets he gets arrested by the Nazis after they come to power and gets sent to a camp. And he so he ends up on this... He ends up kind of one of the leaders of this this detail that's trying to forge the forge the pound and the dollar and he's a he's, he is kind of an interesting character because he's not he's definitely not the sort of noble hero that that uh that you might expect to see in this type of movie he's he's very uh he's not entirely self-absorbed like he's he looks out for other people but he has a very small vision of of responsibility he, he'll look out for the people that are directly you know in his circle he's not idealistic he, right he doesn't have any kind of big picture ideas about what he should be doing he's he's just he's very focused on survival and 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 helping the people around him survive as well but not he's not interested in uh in making any waves basically in his view the way to survive is to do what he's told 
and there's there's a secondary character in the movie whose whose whole thing is that he wants to sabotage this effort because he understands the effect that it could have if it's successful. And I, I was really fascinated when I first saw it because I feel like in particularly if it was an American movie, that guy would have been our protagonist, and this other guy would have been a secondary character who was there to kind of add some you know moral depth to it or whatever. But I was fascinated by the fact that they they focused on the guy who was uh, a, a bit less of a less of a heroic character. And that was kind of what grabbed me about it when I first saw it. Well, and even more interesting, perhaps, uh, parallel, the guy who is that secondary idealistic character is August Deal, who is the main character as a man of idealism, and, above all things, in the new Terrence Valley. Right, a, ver- a very, very similar character, which is, yeah, it was... It was kind of interesting. Also, did you... I didn't really realize this until after I had finished it, but the uh, the actor who played uh, the main character, Karl Markovics, he was also in A Hidden Life. I don't know if you... Uh, was he? He was like the... I think he was like the mayor of the town who was... Oh! Yeah, he had a scene where he got drunk and yelled at the main guy in the street because that he was a traitor because he wasn't fighting for his country or whatever. Yeah, that was him. Yeah. Oh my gosh! So, so we can like go out on a limb and assume that Terrence Malick was a fan of the Counterfeiters. That's possibly, or you know, it could just be some degree a matter of you know this was the acting pool in this area. I mean, maybe, but I sure like I when I was watching it, I was just like, I feel like Terrence must have watched this movie and been like, that's the guy. I mean, that's entirely possible. It's interesting because there's, I mean, I have no idea what Terrence Malick enjoys watching, obviously, but there's. Uh, Stylistically, visually, there is there is not really any parallel to be drawn between this and the work of Terrence Malick. This is this is very like uh, sort of grimy film, low light, almost all interiors. It, it is not the sort of sweeping the sort of sweeping beauty that you get in Malick's movies at all. It's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. But yeah, it is. In, it was interesting that the the two of them. Not quite the same dynamic in the two movies, but but the August Deals character in in particular had had a very similar mindset, I think, in the two. Although in in this in this movie, in the Counterfeiters, August Deals character is a communist. I mean, he has uh, more specifically political ideals that he's fighting for rather than religious ones, which is what it was in A Hidden Life. Yeah, correct. I mean, partly I think I was just reminded of how much I fucking loved A Hidden Life. Uh, yeah, beautiful movie. <laughs> but I thought about that a lot uh, while watching this. But I did, I mean, I, like, one of the interesting things, like, August Steele's character in A Hidden Life is, like, just so bizarrely, <laughs> intensely focused on it. I mean, it's not bizarre, but it feels bizarre, because I, I feel like I am way more uh, Karl Markovic's character in this than I would be August Steele's character, although I don't think anyone knows what character, like what you would sure. do in those situations. But Deal had started out, Berker is his name in that movie, um, had started out, he has a he has an exchange with our main character where he talks about that, like he was put on this good detail um, where he was like taking money uh, out of Jews' clothes and stuff while they were being burned. Right. He was taking the possessions of, of the new arrivals at the camps when they got there in the trains. So he also, like, he had a lot of guilt. Right. That I, I think, and then when his wife is killed trying to escape. Right. She had been left behind at Auschwitz when he when he came to this new new arrangement and he found out later that she had been killed trying to escape. Yeah. But there is, there's an exchange, there's an exchange in this movie with some of the other prisoners because he, he, he's basically, Berger's character is basically the one guy 
who's trying to who has is convinced that they shouldn't be cooperating with this and so he's deliberately sabotaging what they're doing and it's putting them all at risk and there's this exchange where the a group of them go to him and try to talk him into it and then try to beat him into it and he has this this line that is I mean, it's basically the theme of, I guess, of this movie, but very, also very much of a hidden life. Although I don't think uh, I don't think Malik would ever state it in such a straightforward way. But you know, one of the other guys says something to him, but like along the lines of like, "No, you're the only one here who's willing to die for an ideal. No one else is going to do that." And he says, "You know, that's why the Nazi system works." Uh, which is, it really is exactly the theme of a hidden life. It, it is kind of funny the parallels. Yeah, it was. It was so hard not to think about him, like even though I did, for the record, very much enjoy watching this movie. But there were like multiple times where I was just like, where I was thinking about seeing everyone go watch a hidden life. Yeah, if you have not seen that movie. But there is a scene. I don't really believe that. I cannot imagine what a spoiler for a Terrence Malick movie would look like. So I'm just gonna talk about it a little. But there is a scene in which uh, Deal's character is being. There's multiple scenes like this, really, where he's being interrogated by different Nazis and just like being tried to. They just want him to be part of the German the Nazi army and like I, I believe they offer him like you know they're like you can do something that won't require killing anyone you can do like you can do these things but you have to take the vow to Hitler you have to do the thing and he is just like I cannot do that and they're like this isn't gonna matter like you realize like that if you if you, if we kill you for this this is not going to have an impact on the war this isn't going to this isn't going to matter um, and so I was thinking about that while Deal was saying that line of like the reason this works is people aren't willing to die for ideals but at the same time like does it matter i realize i misquoted it he said for principles not for ideals which is a different part of what i thought was interesting is that it is not that uh that director is the only one who has principles like Markovic actually ha- like has definite principles when everyone is like trying to go after deal for refusing to help them make for continuing to sabotage their attempts to make the American dollar Markovic is like if you if you rat on him I will kill you he, he he will definitely stick his neck out for people that he seizes in his own circle like he has much more of a streets mentality it is a it is a code it is like a way of ethics right. but it is very much like these are the people we can protect this is the thing the larger system has never done anything but screw me over anyway so like what i care about are the people that i'm going to try to protect here and now another dimension to to his relationship with burger that it didn't get into that much and i'm not totally sure i read it correctly so i'm curious what you think about it because we find out when he is on the way to a camp initially after he first gets arrested he's he gets thrown in a car or in a truck or whatever with another prisoner who is russian and it they find they find out that they had studied at the same university at different times and and the guy tries to speak russian to him and he says i you know i'd rather speak german russian it reminds me of too many sad things basically and as the movie unfolds we find out that he had a family he had a wife and children who are now gone and at one point he says something i can't remember what he said happened to them exactly but i kind of got the impression that they had been killed by the communists in russia before he came to germany mm, that would make sense which which adds an interesting dimension to his dynamic with burger who of course is a communist and that's his whole his whole thing is political as much as moral but it, it didn't say that explicitly so i might have been misreading that i'm not, i wasn't totally sure I, mean, I think that would make sense i also think that like his um it's interesting to think about because the other like major like sort of weird relationship that that he well he has several but like one of the other relationships he has is with one of the men who are working for the Nazis who is also not there on principle like he doesn't like believe in the Nazis mission he believes in money and in 
theoretically protecting his family and in you know this he i think he enjoys the power but like functionally he's a thug he doesn't like have some like higher set of ideals about this he outright says i think several times are you talking about herzog or holst herzog was like the the higher up boss he was the head of the camp that was running the whole program holst was the the bully that was like the second in command the one that he the one that he shoots <laughs> or that he or he, he threatens to shoot and right so that, that's herzog who was kind of the leader of the program that was uh, see now that's interesting because i there was kind of an interesting thing with him there's a scene where where he goes to to herzog's home on his invitation to kind of try to make this sort of side deal with him to get medicine for one of the other prisoners who's sick and the guy has this whole speech about how, like, when I was when I was younger, I used to be a communist and I used to believe all that. And he had he he has this line about like, you know, don't get the idea that I'm some kind of Nazi. That's not me. <laughs> Which I thought I thought that was interesting. That sort of uh, you know that that's the I'm sure that's the way a lot of these guys saw themselves. Like, you know, you know, I, I'm For sure. I, I'm getting mine here, but you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not a Nazi. I'm not one of the you know. Which is a bit, you know, it's kind of a pointless, it's, it's kind of a ridiculous, it's a ridiculous distinction they're trying to make. Of course it is. But that is how they, how they get by, right? How they explain it to themselves. And of course his, his complete airhead of a wife who is, <laughs> that was a little much, I thought. He's like, look at this former prisoner is now, now contributing to a great cause. Okay, but I think that that scene was important. I think it was too, but I think they overplayed her a little bit. Yeah, yeah she was she was a bit much. But the kids and stuff, and him talking about being a father and how he never hits his kids and, and all of these things. Yeah, I don't hit my children. I'm a good person, yeah. Right, <laughs> murder Jews, but I don't hit my children. So, you know, critical difference. But, like, I think that, I think, like, to me, that was part of the reason that Markovics let him go. Not because because he was like, I know this guy. And because he I he did meet his kids and his family. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm reading too much there. But, like, I felt like he wasn't able to bring himself to, like, kill the kid's dad when, they, when it wouldn't benefit him to do that. Right. Yeah. Because I feel like the benefit is, is part of the point. Like, will it ultimately, like, benefit him or the, the small grouping that he has determined right. that he is going to protect? And if not, then... It has a really interesting score. I don't know if you're attention to the score, but I was really, I was sort of, I don't usually know the scores. The main theme music, the, the recurring bit of theme music that kept coming back, I did, I did like that. It particularly stood out to me when they used the score in the showers where the kid was like freaking out that they were going to get gassed and then it was just showers. Yeah. Yeah. Marius Ruland is the name of the, the composer, but he has not done anything else that I'm familiar with. Hmm. Right. But yeah, I mean, I do think that there was an interesting, like, there was an interesting, like, pressure between, like, pragmatism and idealism. But, like, both of those people had a code of ethics. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was important. And I can see how that would have been interesting to you, to us. I don't think I was that into the movie when I was younger. But um, (laughs) I can see how that could have potentially been interesting, you know, as people who were taught that, like, only one code of ethics matters. Right. (laughs) And that, like, and the pragmatism ain't it. Um, I don't remember anything about our discussion. I, I can't say I do either. But, you know, it's funny because I feel like I actually enjoyed... I, I enjoyed the movie less now than I did before. <laughs> like, I still like. it. Oh, interesting. It. I did still like it, but I did... I thought that the... Uh, there's, like, a framing device thing with the, the main character. Is it Sally? Is that what they call him? Sally? Yeah, his name's Salomon, but he goes by Sally. So there, there's, like, this framing device where he after he gets out of the camp where he he's in Monte Carlo and he has all this this money that they had counterfeited 
and he goes to a casino and there's so like at the, the start he goes to this casino and he's you know just using it to win a bunch of real money he's using he's there to launder it basically and then it cuts to this flashback of his whole experiences at the camps and all that and then he decides that he's just he doesn't want it so he just d- basically dumps it all he just gets rid of it all on a on a roulette table or something and I, I didn't. I thought that whole thing was not particularly. I didn't particularly enjoy the framing device. I didn't think it worked that well. I don't know. I think maybe the director was punching a bit above his weight for oh, his weight class for this movie. <laughs> I don't know if you looked him up. His name is Stefan Ruzowitzki, and you know nothing against him, but it looks like he's primarily known for doing like low budget horror movies. Yeah, I just I'm looking at his IMDb right now. He did the tearing up my heart and zinc video though, so that's pretty. Oh great. well, that's something I guess. He's just you know he's not exactly a heavy hitter, and he definitely took a big swing with this one, and it paid off. This movie won the Oscar for best foreign language film in in '08, but uh, I I think he may have been. He also wrote slash or he adapted the screenplay himself. So was... yeah, I mean yeah, I'm sure it was an important movie for him, and it's and you know I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I do still like it definitely. But I, I think I liked it less this time than I did when I was younger. In fact, I know I did because I, I lowered my star rating of it after watching it again. That's it. I think that I agree with you that the framing device didn't work that well. But I actually think the problem with that was because they only bookended the movie with it. And I felt like if they wanted to use the framing device, I think they could have woven it in. Yeah, I agree. Because yeah. I am I am always interested in like the, tr- the effects of trauma. <laughs> Uh, like I'm always interested in that, but because it was just like in the very like first five minutes and the last five minutes, it just it felt like a different movie. Right. By the time you come back to it, you've forgotten that. Oh yeah, we were in this. Although you know, in, in speaking, one thing that this movie does have going for it that's nice is that it's only like 98 minutes long, which <laughs> is uh, not what, not what you'd expect from from the big. Oscar-winning Holocaust movie. I was quite surprised when I realized it was that short. So, you know, I don't know that I necessarily, I don't know that I necessarily want to adv- advocate for them adding more material to it. But uh, it might, it might have helped in this case. No, and that's true. I don't think that there needed to be a lot. I just think you had to be able to like, like, I, I mean, I, I just think it's a skill thing that may have been slightly outside of his, you know, speaking of someone who has never written a screenplay or directed a movie. So obviously, <laughs> to some extent, you know, take my thoughts of the grain of salt. Even just plot wise, I feel like they could have tied it in a little bit because like he shows up at the start of the movie with this briefcase full of cash. And we at this point, we don't have any idea where it came from. And of course, you know, by the end of the movie, you realize, oh, it's the counterfeit money. But I feel like they could have woven that in a little bit rather than like it comes back to him at the end. And it's like, OK, you're right. He's in money. Oh, right. It's the counterfeit money. Well, I'll bet like they could have kind of cut back to him throughout the movie, I think, to sort of tie that in. But yeah, now I can see that. Wow. August Steele has been in more things than I thought he had been in. He has almost 60 credits. Yeah, yeah, no, he's he's been around. Looks like several German television shows, which I am not familiar with, but yeah, but he he's been in a fair amount of uh, of movies that people know as well. He was in Inglorious Bastards, and he was in I think he was in that movie Salt, which I didn't like very much, but apparently he was. I liked it, but you know, yeah. whatever. I I should that's one that I should probably rewatch because I know a lot of people really like that movie. I I did not care for it, but I mean, I just liked looking at Angelina Jolie. It wasn't like a high bar for me. <laughs> <laughs> Although that was when she was first getting to her really skinny phase, so like I enjoyed looking at her and also was slightly concerned about her, but but I still like the movie. I haven't seen it in years though. Maybe I would hate it now. Who knows? But yeah, I think watching it I don't like a lot of Nazi movies. I feel like that is a thing that I have watched many, many times at this point. 
and most of the time it like it's almost it's like almost a genre in and of itself and i feel like a lot of the time it's not that i do not care about the story of the nazis because i do but i also think that there is a danger in turning something into like something that is a tragedy in this way etc into like a genre with its own beats yeah it really strips nuance from the situation sure and you know i think often people people go to the the holocaust movie well because it is an automatically prestigious right sort of thing and so i think i think it is it's worth i think it's worth saying that if you know if you're going to go that way with your movie you should probably have some new shade to add to it some different story to tell yes. which i think i think this one did achieve that this was an interesting I, I had certainly never heard this story before, and there's some interesting elements about the way that this group of people is they are they are treated much better than all the other prisoners in the camps. They're given weekends off. They have comfortable beds to sleep in. They're allowed to have actual showers that aren't gas. They're almost murdered by the other prisoners when they take over the camp because they assume they're Nazis. <laughs> right, exactly. And yeah, at, at the end when the when the allies actually come through and the the other prisoners take over the camp, they almost kill them because they're, you know, they're in there wearing real clothes and they look well fed and they just assume that they're Nazis. Yeah. And the, the, the only way they get by is because a bunch of them had been in Auschwitz and they had the tattoos and they show them to the, the other prisoners to prove that, you know, we're, we're, we're one of you, but, but like they're not right. And in some ways I would almost like to see, I would have liked to have seen a little more of that. Like I, I like maybe just a little, like, I don't know. Sometimes there were things about the balance of the movie that I occasionally was like, maybe a little more of this and a little less of that. But overall, like, I agree with you that I think that this did add, this was a story I had not heard and it, it had much more nuance to it than some films do. When I try to think about movies from the Nazi regime that stick with me, or that have stuck with me, they may not always even be the best movies. Um, like, I think the first one that I ever saw that made me realize that I actually would like to see some different stories <laughs> about Nazis, um, if we were going to do that, was Swing Kids, which I don't think is a great movie, although I haven't watched it in a long time. I feel pretty safe in saying it's not a great movie. It's probably not <laughs> a great movie. Probably not. Yeah. But... What what fascinated me about Swing Kids, which I think was in like the 90s or something, it had mm -hmm. Christian Bale and some other folks, was that, you know, it was this story of this impact on the lives of kids that they were upset that they couldn't keep, they were swing dancers. They like listening to swing music and then Hitler banned it because it was Jewish music or whatever. Um, and again, this goes back to the same thing. Like these, these kids were not like idealistic in this way. They weren't interested in like fighting the Nazis because of idealism. They were angry that they couldn't like listen to music and go to clubs and do the things that they wanted to do as young people, right. which to me felt much more human even though the movies ha and the movie definitely has some like melodramatic top of the bar moments there but yeah. like but i thought that the story was interesting because it, it wasn't it wasn't something i'd ever heard before yeah and it totally it made sense that it was a thing there was another one that i only watched because it had uh, um he plays max in sense8 which i feel like you never watched sense8 so uh, i watched the first season of it oh okay so do you remember Max? He was the German one. Oh, okay. I remember. I mean, I remember there being a German one, but okay. No. Well, his his name. Okay, sorry, my bad. His actual name is Max Reimheltz. His name in the show is Wolfgang Bogdanow. Okay. Um, but uh, my friend Mona has a deep and abiding crush on Max Reimheld because of <laughs> because of Sunset, and so she went through this thing where she wanted to watch all of the movies that he had been in. 
And we watched what we could. One of the early movies he was in, probably most famously, he was in a movie called The Wave that like made a little bit of... Oh, was that the one about the, the teacher that did the experiment in his classroom or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, I saw that one. I thought it was okay. But in 2004, which I think he was pretty young in 2004, he was, yeah, he's the same age as me. So he was 20. He, uh, he was in a movie called Before the Fall, which is a German film that I almost certainly would never have seen if it were not for the fact that Mona was determined to watch <laughs> to watch all of his movies. Um, and it's a movie about a young about a young boy, you know, a teenager, high school, who is really good at boxing. And he gets recruited by the local Nazi like boarding school for young boys and they because boxing teams are part of what they're doing and like teaching the kids to fight and but also yeah i don't know how boxing works the two guys two guys stand in a ring and they hit each other okay well i know that part i mentioned the larger like do they do you fight other schools do you i don't know but so he and his father doesn't want him to go but he forges the signature and he goes to this he goes to this school which in a lot of ways is actually a little more, so it makes it in some ways more of a boarding school movie than a Nazi movie. <laughs> so exciting, you know, there's the bully kids and like all of those things. There's actually a scene that when I watched Jojo Rabbit, um, I was like, did they? Because it's so similar, but with such a different tone. Hmm. Uh, there is a scene in which their teacher is teaching them how to use hand grenades. <laughs> One of the kids fucks up and gets and gets hurt, but it's not a comedy. It's it's a really horrifying scene. Right. So like, so I was just like, did they watch this movie? Interesting. I mean, Jojo Rabbit is based on a novel, but I guess I don't know if that sequence is in the novel or not. But... Yeah, I have no idea. It was just it was just interesting because it was it was so similar, but had a completely different tone to it. Right. Um. But anyway, and so and and so this is the the he goes to school like shortly before well as the title suggests before the fall of the regime and so as things start getting closer and closer like they're not fully aware of everything but they basically are training these like kids starting at like 12 to 14 to like send them out into the field as cannon fodder and i thought that that movie was much more compelling and there's no doubt, I'm sure, that part of it is because it was about teenagers or whatever. But it was also, like, a story, again, about, like, this wasn't... No one here was idealists. No one here was upset by the regime. The regime did good things for them. And you could understand why, particularly these young boys, were excited about this world that they were being promised. They hadn't seen any concentration camps. Who knows if they would have cared if they had. But, like, <clears throat> you know, in their world, this regime was promising them this grand new world, this place that was going to be that was going to be good, and they were going to have good jobs and good lives and, you know, this kid kind of came out of poverty. And, and, like, I was really fascinated by that storm, much more so than I am by some of the more prestigious ones. And, so, and you know, it's, it's not like a high-budget movie. <laughs> it's very, right. Like, but I, but it's, it was a story I hadn't seen. And I guess that's my problem, is that a lot of times I go to watch, I when I see movies about Nazi Germany or whatever, um, I end up feeling like, well, I've seen this story, like, ten times. And mm -hmm. this interesting and maybe it's just kind of torture porn at this point like mm. but yeah so the point is that i did like the counterfeiters overall and i thought it was a different take and i'm glad that i got to watch it again because otherwise i almost certainly would not have and yeah i don't know I, I don't know if it was like this is one of those movies that when i look at it it feels to me like particularly you being so into it like you trying to wrestle with like values and concepts that you hadn't fully like grasped yet, but that it was, mm -hmm. and maybe wrong, but that it was just like, 
These are things that are like outside of what we're supposed to think or believe. There should be a good guy. There should be a bad guy. (laughs) But what if like people can have different sets of morals and values and like not be bad people for them per se? Yeah. And this, you know, this also would have been when I first watched it, it would have been fairly early on in my days of watching foreign movies. And like I say, if this were a Hollywood movie, we would definitely have had Burger as the hero. But obviously it's overgeneralizing to say that foreign movies are more complex than American ones, but it is often true. Well, I actually think the one interesting thing about that is a lot of movies that I have seen, not all of them at all, but a lot of movies that I've seen about the Holocaust, I've seen a lot of American movies about the Holocaust, which I feel like do end up stripping some things a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Boy in the striped pajamas. Yeah, I didn't. I, I I missed that one. By that point, I was like, no, I think I'm okay. <laughs> I think I'm good. <laughs> but, but I also wonder sometimes, like when I think about Before the Fall, which I think was a good movie, which was incredibly difficult to find, by the way. I think Mona and I actually had to like order it on DVD or something. Um, because it wasn't like a big foreign movie over here. It's just like a small movie. And I guess it's it's interesting... What am I trying to get to here? I guess what I what I find myself wondering is if one, I think people should tell their own stories. So I think that ideally I would want movies about the Holocaust to come out of countries and stuff that were impacted mm-hmm. by the Holocaust. And two, I wonder if sometimes what makes it to the US as big movies, at least sometimes, do lack some of the nuance or we miss the nuance because we don't know the cultural context as well. Hmm. I don't know. It's just a, it's a theory thought that I'm having. One thing that's interesting that I just now discovered glancing through the Wikipedia entry for this movie mm-hmm. is that the movie is in fact based on a memoir by Berger. Oh! So, <laughs> so they, someone made the decision in adapting that to shift the focus to a different character. Unless they, I'm, I'm looking at his page right now, but I assume Berger is more or less the same character that he was in the movie. That That is interesting. His first name was Adolf, which is unfortunate for him. Yeah, alas. But also, I think, not that uncommon at the time. Apparently, he was, he was arrested for printing false baptismal certificates for Jews scheduled for deportation, which stated that they were Catholics. Mm. He talked about, in the movie, he claims he was arrested for printing anti-Nazi flyers. Propaganda flyers, yeah. He was arrested with his wife, sent to Auschwitz. She was killed, uh, and he was assigned to, to this uh, Operation Bernhard, it was called, the counterfeiting operation. Interesting. Hmm. I mean, I would probably read that memoir. Yeah, I'm sure it'd be interesting, yeah. I, I have not read a whole lot in the way of Holocaust memoirs. I know it's a whole it's a whole body of literature, but I've only read a few of the like really prominent ones. But So what did you change your star rating to? Uh, I, I, I had given it a 9 initially. Um, okay. I, I knocked it down to a seven. Okay. I wonder what I initially <laughs> gave it. I suddenly find myself curious because I, I think I would have just, I think by the time I put it up on Letterboxd, I probably didn't have a list from that time. So I was probably just going off of memory. Oh, Burger Burger was still alive at the time the movie came out too. He didn't die until 2016. Oh, wow. Um, it looks like I, in my memory of it, gave it um, a four out of five or eight or 10. I think I would go, I would be between uh 3.5 and 4. Mm-hmm. I thought some of the stuff that worked worked really well. I do really appreciate that it was only 95 minutes. Great work yeah. there. Yeah, that was nice. So th- th- sorry, I'm still I'm still glancing through Adolf Berger's Wikipedia page and it's interesting. He he apparently he first published it in 1945. Oh, okay. So right after. It's called Number 64401 Speaks. That's the name of it. And in the 1970s he apparently went back and rewrote it. 
And he said, he he talked in an interview about why he did that. He said, when I was liberated by the Americans, I went home very calmly, never had a bad dream. For years, I was silent. I didn't want to speak about this anymore. It was only when the neo-Nazis started with their lies about Auschwitz that I began, which is interesting. So he he kind of felt like he had put it all behind him. And then in the 70s, there was this neo-Nazi movement to discredit the stories about the Holocaust. So it looks, it looks like the uh, his revised version of the... It was republished in 1983 as the Commando of Counterfeiters. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's partly just fascinating because I think, you know, like looking back at your at your trauma, at your life in general, like you're going to have different, you're going to have different perspectives on that at different points in your life. So how interesting to like, uh, yeah. Huh. That's really, it's really fascinating. Yeah. It looks like, <laughs> I assume this is this, I don't know if this is the same book. When I was looking it up, I, I looked it up and uh, Amazon pulled up for me The Devil's Workshop, a memoir of the Nazi counterfeiting operation, but it says it's by Berger. Yeah, that might be the that might be the title it was published in, in under in the U.S. Yeah, I was just laughing because it's more dramatic. This also this also says that he was involved in that he was approving every draft of the screenplay, but it says that there were only two prisoner characters in the film that were based specifically on actual people. One of them being him, and the other one being the opera singer. Um, oh, okay. Who was a, a minor character in the movie? So I guess the the character of Sally was at least not directly based on a real person. Right, some sort of compo- composite, probably. Oh, that's super interesting. Well, maybe someday I will look at that book. Yeah, I'm sure that would be worth it. Worth checking out. 25 bucks on Amazon. Add it to my wish list just so that I do not forget about it. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm super glad that I got to watch it again. I don't know that I would, like, seek it out again. Yeah, but I, 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 would, def- I would recommend it to anyone who's interested in this kind of story. It's a good movie. It's a good, solid movie. It is a good solid movie, and I will also say that it has less of, like, the tortury aspect of it, probably, you know, because of what they were doing or whatever. And there are definitely some scenes that are for sure challenging, but, like, it's not quite as um, constant as it is in some. It's true. You don't see any, you don't see any mass graves or, you know, bodies being thrown in the ovens or any of that kind of thing, which, you know, you can make an argument either way, whether that's good or bad. But I think it seems fair to their experience. Yeah, Like, exactly. it seems, you know, and, and that's part of the point, like, that all of these things were happening. There's actually, like, a pretty impactful scene, I think, that's sort of, like, a moment between Berger and Markovic's character where, or Sally, where they um, are playing ping pong. Mm-hmm. And they shoot a prisoner, like, they're within this fenced yard, and they throw a prisoner up against the wall on the other side of the fence and shoot the prisoner. And, like, some of the bullets come through and, like, ricochet or whatever so it's like all of this stuff is happening people are dying all around them and the fact that they are like safer (laughs) not safe but like safer of being treated well is is a whole other like layer or element of the story i think well there was an earlier scene in the movie where they were i think they were being moved into a different building or something and when they went in there they found a guy who had been beaten by the guards and was hiding in there and uh, Berger goes over to try to help him, and Sally is trying to, like, you know, don't, don't get involved in this, you're going to get us all in trouble. But he goes and tries to help him, and one of the guards catches him, and none of the other prisoners are supposed to speak to these guys because what they're doing is a secret, so they just drag the guy out and shoot him, you know, because Berger had tried to help him. Well, but I also think that, like, critically in that scene, Sally saves Berger. 
He does. Like they're ready. They're ready to take Burger out and shoot him. And he's like, "Nope, he, we need him. He's critical for this." What he didn't know what he was doing. Right, and 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 he does that. He does that repeatedly. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a, with Burger and with others. There's a scene later in the movie when they're they're working on the the counterfeiting the pound, and the commandant comes in and is looking at their work. And this one guy, he's checking his work. And he's like, "This looks terrible. My kid could do this. What is this guy doing here?" And the guy says to Sally in Russian, he's like, I'm I'm not a printer. I, I lay railroad ties for a living. I lied to get to to be spared from the from the showers. Please help me. And he steps up and lies for him and says that the fault is that the problem is a fault in the copper. And that they should send him to a different space where I presume he would be more likely to be able to. Right. To, to get by. Yeah. And he does that over and over again. Right. So, yeah, he consistently saves people. And like that is that is a real arguable ethical point. Right. Like, I mean, he is saving people. He is keeping people alive. And it is arguable. And I think a thing that I like really resonated with was like, like I'm a like I'm a fucking social worker, man. Like mm-hmm. I absolutely do care about the larger systems that make life harder for people. And on the other hand, you need people who are just working to save the individuals one by one in the terrible system. <laughs> like you need both those things. Yeah, and you know, in an ideal world, you <laughs> you will have enough people like Sally who are you know, working on the the lower end of things to fight for the individuals that everyone should be taken care of, but... And who has tremendous skill in doing that, incidentally. Like, he's very good at it. But the other the other side of that is that Herzog basically saw himself the same way. He has that one scene where he's like, you know, it, it, where Sally basically has him at his mercy, and he's like, you know, you're think how you were treated so well because of me i can't save the whole jewish race alone i can only do so much like he saw himself as this compassionate figure that was you know doing what he could exactly right which was nonsense he he he, like he thinks he's schindler but well and that's and that's the thing right and this will come up again in another nazi movie that we watch at some point i think called amen where i think some similar questions come up and and there is like there's a balance right at what point are you just supporting you know and helping to maintain ultimately a system that is i don't know i think a lot there was a um there was a memoir or something. There was something I was reading about. I thought it was a memoir, but I'm not 100% positive. That was written by like one of Himmler's mistresses or something like that. And I, I can't like I remember virtually nothing about this except that I read an article at some point where she was talking about she she talked about how he was so he was so nice to his dog and he was so nice to her and he was so and like I think about that all the time. Like, honestly, like, I don't remember any other context for it. I just remember this concept of, like, this Nazi, like, loved his dog. And he loved... And it's like, yeah, like, even in the most inhuman of people, there tends to be some humanity. And that is real. But that also, like, is not enough to justify... (laughs) It almost makes it worse. It almost makes it worse. You know that they could do something different, but they don't. Yeah, well, that's... Like, everyone convinces themselves that they're doing what they can. And a lot of people, you know, they set the the bar very low for themselves. (laughs) Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think... Gaiman's quote about no one being the monster in their own story is really important. Like, you know, that's how we get through life. Um, 
<laughs> that, and the important thing is, are we willing to wrestle ethically? Now, do I think that Sally and her tug are the same? No, I don't. I mean, Sally like couldn't leave. He was making yeah. the best of a situation that he had. But it is like important to like question those ethical considerations and you know how how far is too far in just saving individuals that you care about, and how far is you know when should when do you need to go with a higher ethical calling? I guess. Right. Anyway, but good movie. Uh, do we want to? You have anything else you wanted to say, or do we want to pick the next? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else on this one. Not off the top of my head, anyway. Cool. All right. Well, I think you have your random number generator up. I do. Let me pull up the tab here. So, random number generator one through a hundred. I got thirty-four. I feel like I keep getting thirties. Have we done thirty-four <laughs> already? We have not. Thirty-four okay. is Gattaca. Okay. Okay. Um, I haven't seen Gattaca in a long time. No, I haven't watched it in years. There was a lot I remember about our father's thoughts on Gattaca. I actually remember that from watching it with him the first time I ever saw Gattaca. Yeah. It's just me dad. So that'll be interesting. We'll see if I... I used to really love it. We'll see if if I still feel that way, I guess. It is still generally pretty well regarded, I think. I think so. I'm. I'm definitely curious to watch it again. Yeah, for sure. So, what else have you been watching lately, Joel? Uh, Tina and I continuing on our our watch Iron Man 3 last night, which I don't know how well you remember Iron Man 3. I still think it's one of the best of the series. Virtually not Um, at all. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, you know, it's been a consistent thing watching these older ones that I haven't watched in so long, that a lot of them, even the ones I liked, there's a lot of stuff I didn't really remember. Even though I watched most of them multiple times, but I do think Iron Man Three is one of the better ones. Oh, interesting. Okay. Written, written directed by Shane Black, who does have his own. It, it, so it's more distinctive than most the, than any of them are now. Uh, but he was also he had worked with with Robert Downey before in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and I think really knew how to write for him. And he, I, it, it definitely felt like he had more. Uh, he had a bit more to do in this one, heavy lifting wise. Uh, as far as his performance, rather than just sort of playing the the Tony Stark character, there was uh, there was some <laughs> there there's a critical plot point towards the end where the the bad guy captures the president, and it's like so it's it's just it was just kind of weird to think of a time now when uh, the the fate of the American president was considered like legitimate stakes that we're supposed to care about. <laughs> it, it, it honestly, it, and Tina felt the same way. It felt very weird, and also kind of out of character for the Marvel Universe. I think it's the only one where the president shows up and they don't they don't get into that. There, there really isn't much government stuff. It's all military. At any rate, uh, really solid movie. Probably my second favorite of the MCU based on my memory. We'll see how that continues as I watch through them again. Are you keeping a letterbox list and, uh, and organizing them? I mean, I'm, I'm re, 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 remarking them and, and rating them as I go, but I have not actually done a separate list. I might at some point. I don't do that many lists on there most of the time. I but know. I just love the lists. I know you do. The other thing that I've been doing, I've been watching the Amazon Prime series Tales from the Loop. Have you heard about that? I, I've heard the title. It's a uh, sort of sci-fi drama series that I, apparently is based on a series of of illustrations by a like a European graphic artist who I was not familiar with, but he did he did this series that I guess are fairly well known if you'd know about these things. This series of illustrations that were sort of like they're like a they're, they're sci-fi. They're definitely set in a sci-fi world, but they're it's kind of like a just sort of like a midwestern farm town, and it's it's all kind of so you know you have like the the futuristic machines are like farm machines and 
it doesn't look like slick and shiny. It just looks like a natural part of this sort of low-income part of the world. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, the the movie is kind of takes that setting and and the aesthetic, or not the movie, the the show rather. And uh, I've only watched the first two episodes. I think there's six. But it's kind of a, um, each episode is, it focuses on a different character. So there isn't like a, a single running story that like there are, there are. Re- so it's like an anthology kind yeah, of? Yeah, anthology. That's the word I was looking for. It's not, it's not quite that because there are like, it's all kind of set in this town. So the same, the same people show up and stuff. It has, um, Rebecca Hall is in it and, um, mm. uh, what's his name? Paul, Paul Schneider is his name. Ah. Who, he shows up all over the place and I always like him. I always like seeing him. And, uh, Jonathan Price is in it as well. So there's there's familiar faces in it, but it's uh, but yeah, it's it, it is a very a, it is a very very low key sort of slow paced show. So not for everyone. It is definitely a sci fi drama. It's not like a sci fi adventure. But I I really enjoy it. I really like the the look and feel of it. Interesting. Yeah, I don't think I had heard I heard that it existed, but not anything about it. Uh, it looks like it's eight episodes actually, not six. So, but it's there's not a whole lot of it. Okay, cool. I think that's the only other thing I've been. I've been doing lately other than continuing with the, the HBO stuff. Right. Well, I am going to say that the thing that I watched that I most enjoyed lately that does only have six episodes and is up on Netflix, it's extremely accessible, is the uh, the show Feel Good on Netflix. I don't know if you've heard of that. Uh, the name is familiar, but I don't know anything about it. It is it is another, I mean, I think there's, there's several of these and I often like them, but of these shows that are sort of like roughly autobiographical of a comedian's life and the comedian mm. stars in them. So in this case, the comedian is Mae Martin, who I had never heard of before, but uh, am now kind of in love with. Okay. Hella, uh, hella queer, hella, just like really, really fucking awesome. I like her a lot. Apparently goes by she or they. Um, and the, the, I hope it gets renewed for a second season. Um, her mom is played by um, Lisa Kudrow, and she does like a really amazing job. Oh, Okay. That's cool. I, yeah, I hadn't heard about that. Uh, but basically, yeah, uh, Mae Martin uh, plays the lead in being over in the UK and sort of having a bunch of relationship crises and stuff while having, um, like, while struggling with her own chemical dependency issues and trying to stay clean. And, and there are definitely some moments that are, like, fairly cringe. Uh, but it's really, it's really sweet and funny and after i watched it i i watched it all at once because it's like six 30 minute episodes so like but then i went and looked up a bunch of her uh stand-up clips on youtube and stuff and i i really like her a lot so i mean like i said low barrier okay three whole hours but um it's it's really enjoyable so i would i would recommend it i think the only other thing major thing that i've watched well i keep trying to i don't remember if i've said this on previous episodes but i keep trying to like maintain this this quota this year of watching one female directed movie for every three movies that I watch, mm-hmm. which has been a project that I'm super glad I took on. Honestly, it's really required me to be like a lot more thoughtful about what I choose to watch next in different ways. Um, and like seek out movies sometimes because there are just a lot of male directed movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm thinking that for 2021, I might do the same thing, but do it with uh, directors of color maybe. But for this, this year I have been doing the female directors. And so the other night I was looking through criteria in which I don't know when we'll release this episode. So this may not be relevant at that point. Cause I think it's expiring at the end of the month, but there, they had a bunch of movies by this woman whose name I am definitely about to butcher. Nitska Kim. And she had done several movies, including the very first movie that Bjork was ever in when she was like 
pretty young teenager, I guess, um, called the Juniper Tree, which I don't know how familiar you are with grim fairy tales or the story of the Juniper Tree. I know the Juniper Tree, yeah. Yeah, really graphic. Interesting. Disturbing story um, that is told... The, the movie is not that graphic. It's all in black and white. It's really beautiful looking, gorgeous, mm. um, and is told somewhat more from the perspective of the mother and the sister. Okay. Like the wicked stepmother. And uh, I didn't love it. I, I like it, it kind of lost me at points, but it was definitely really interesting. And it was also only like 75 minutes long. And I, I think it's really worth seeing. Like if it happens to like come across your radar, I think it's worth taking a look at. And it's gorgeous to look at. So it's, yeah, it's up on Criterion right now. I think her stuff is expiring at the end of May, but um, it, possibly it'll be available someplace else at some point. So if you see it, I think it's, it's at least an interesting piece to look at. Okay. So, I think that's about all we've got for today. Next week, we will sure watch Gattaca. And that will at least be a movie that lots of people have probably heard of. So Yeah, I mean, more at least. It's it's not exactly a recent movie, but it was a, uh, yeah. Something um, that hits. Yeah, sure. Yeah, well regarded. One uh, one closing thought that occurred to me while watching that movie, that I've, the, the Counterfeiters, that I forgot to mention earlier. Yeah. Not a, not a particularly serious thought, but... Uh, Next time, you know, in two years or however long it takes before Hollywood decides to make another movie with the Joker, I think August Steele would make a pretty great Joker. He's got the look. I'll buy that. I could totally see him doing that, and I would be curious to see him playing, like, a chaotic evil sort of character. So just, you know, putting that out there into the universe. That is interesting. I can see that, because he does have that, like, fire of like fire, fire of conviction look that he's really good at that has made him really good for this. But He has, like, very angular sort of face that he kind of looks like the, the comic book version of Joker, really. Like, I can see that. I find him very attractive. Like, not even, like... I don't even know if attractive is the right word. I find him, like, extremely compelling to look at. I enjoy looking at his face. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll second that. Yeah, let's have a different Joker directed by a different human. I mean, you know, the, the better option would just be to leave the character alone for a decade or two, but I don't think that's very likely. All right. Well, I guess we will see everyone next week, and, yeah, we're out. Bye.